Hey everyone. I'm really excited about today's episode. A few weeks back, I had a conversation with the English musician Michael Levy, and I'm excited to share that with you. He's long been a favorite of mine, and his music is something that I listen to almost every day. He does wonderful compositions from ancient sources, Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Israelite, just beautiful stuff. And his work has not only been a favorite of mine musically, but also it's become a part of my own devotional practice. Our conversation ranges far and wide from his musical upbringing and instruction, his thoughts on commercial music, as well as veering into some odd territories like string theory and what lies beyond the stars. At any rate, I hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more about Michael and his music, you can go to his website, which is ancientliar, that's L-Y-R-E, dot com. And here's my conversation with Michael. Enjoy. Well, most people pronounce it Levy, um, but that's just um, how we pronounce it with the accent that I have. Is any way is valid, really? So you say Levy. Uh-huh. Although I suppose biblically it's Levi, but um, I'm familiar with Levy. Okay. Yeah, I've been saying it wrong for years, and you know, I don't know how much you know about uh, Find Your Gods or what that shows about, but. Um, uh, it's the perfect kind of dovetailing with uh, a lot of what you do, uh, because the show's about mythology. It's mm-hmm. about taking a look at uh, these old stories and looking for uh, meaning and uh, resonance uh, for us today. Um, and it and it really is just kind of an exploration of those things. I'm not a scholar. No, uh, it's the same. All the same here. I mean, that sounds like in literature what I try and do through music, because. 99% of my stuff is original compositions, but for, I say, these recreated instruments using these ancient modes and intonations the best I can. But it's like the idea I have is to basically take over where the ancients left off and, um, you know, just to reintroduce some sort of lost spirituality in modern music, which sadly has been lost with commercialism particularly in the pop world. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of it. Uh, no one, I think, is being as um, as near as I can tell, as faithful to some of the ancient forms. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious, for you, when, when did you start to discover some of these ancient forms and ancient instruments for yourself? And, and how did that idea germinate uh, into, into what you do now? It's a strange thing. It goes way back, actually. The whole story goes way back to, it was about... 14 actually um i just was happened to be in my local um record store and i found this old cassette recording of the late great david munro who was like the first person to go about actually recreating ancient music but well from not as ancient as i play these are but like from the medieval area mm-hmm. era and it was, just, it was like 
musical time travel. That's the phrase I use quite a lot because the first time I heard it, it's my, my goodness, I'm actually back. I mean, I was always interested in ancient history and things, but actually hearing the music, it was like you were actually there in some medieval castle chucking, kicking legs over your shoulders because that's the thing with music. It, it's, above all the arts, it trans, it's the one that directly connects the listener with the intentions of the person who created the music. And it's that's what I mean. That's why it is to me literally time travel. It's um it's the more direct connection um than any other art form, I think. That's, that's yeah. what really fascinated me. Um and this way of completely escaping the modern world um through music, it's, it's just a, that was a revolution. That's the very first time I heard ancient music and that kind of followed me for decades. But actually creating it myself, purely random. Um, basically, in 2006, um, I was looking for some interesting klezmer music. Klezmer is traditional Jewish folk music. And I happened to find this fascinating CD um, called um, Music from the Time of Jesus and Jerusalem's Second Temple. And I got the CD, ordered it, and... Absolutely fascinating. I was from that CD. I discovered it was the Levites, my very own Levite ancestors, who actually played the lyres in the Temple of Jerusalem. Whoa. You couldn't get any more roots music than that. And in in the liner notes of the CD, it had a picture of one of the lyres, the modern recreations of the lyres that was used in the recording. And hey, presto, I found one on eBay of all places. So I actually got my first lyre off eBay um, wow. for about 140 of my um, English. Pounds. Um, it was just, even though it was a really basic factory-made instrument, the potential was there. Was, I've just found, I found a connection to it. Um, the thing with music, this is something that fascinates me. Um, I've heard music from all over the place, and it does. It's not about the number of notes that are played, but how connected the performer is to the music. Um, like I've been in acoustic clubs, like folk music clubs, and I've heard middle class school teachers trying to play the blues. Just doesn't work. They have no connection. They haven't lived the life. Um, whereas I was lucky enough, um, one of my biz- biggest musical in- influences for me enough is the late great BB King. I actually got to see him play live way oh, back in, yeah. 19, in 1986. Um, it was 60 at the time. He was doing a tour of the UK. So my first year at university, I got to see him. And that was just a, a complete revelation. Um, this is the philosophy I have. It's not the number of notes you play, but how you play them and the passion behind it and the connection to the music you're playing. And this was a man who literally couldn't sing as he was playing the guitar because he sang through the guitar. And I've never seen anything like that. And I never have and I never will. And for decades, I've tried to find an instrument to could play like B.B. King because it's just pure spontaneity. It's improvisation has just plucked out the air and um, through the lyre I, I finally found something I could do that with myself and then of course I got this connection as well to the, the biblical Levites going back 2,000 to nearly 3,000 years and so we got the music we got the connection to the instrument and the history and the rest is history and uh, yeah it's been my obsession since 2006 now and um, the funny thing is I find going back to your your thing um Name, um, name of the sort of podcast, find your gods, so to speak. I'm a firm believer that um, it's sort of weird metaphysics. If you put out enough um, energy into the universe, since we are, in essence, energy ourselves, 
uh, masses equivalent to energy, the universe does tend to reward us. And literally from my spare room, I've just put out recording after recording, and just weird things keep happening. The most weird being um, the telephone conference in my lounge a couple of years ago with Rufus Wainwright. It's just pretty surreal. And there was like the Mars M&M's advert. <laughs> and this was a tune I recorded in my spare room. It's absolutely bizarre. That's what I mean. You put out enough positive energy and the universe rewards you. This is the fascinating thing. Uh, and the more I believe this, the more it seems to keep on happening. Uh, really strange. And this is the bitter irony about being a musician. The moment you try and make, you actually set out to make music for money, then you've, t- you've robbed the resulting music of its intrinsic worth because you're not music- making music for music's sake. You're doing it um, as a means to an end. And if you do think for a means to an end, it has no intrinsic value. And that's why Justin Bieber sounds so <laughs> horrendous, <laughs> for example. Nothing personal yeah. against the guy, but oh, I can't stand commercialised music in any way, shape or form. Um, we've lost the soul of rock and roll, unfortunately, <laughs> in um, modern times, which is a great tragedy. But yeah, um, but that's the thing. Um, the moment I've kind of accepted this bitter fact, this is when all the things start rolling in, like um, Rufus Wainwright, the M&M, Mars M&M's advert, um, lots of different things. Uh, and another recent thing phenomenon just happened, just literally out of the blue. Um, uh, Pearson Education in America got in touch with me, and they're using some of my ancient Greek-themed tracks going out to every single high school across the whole of America and maybe part of Canada as well for the next decade. It's wow. absolutely surreal. Well, that's so, wonderful. Like, a whole new generation out there. Maybe it's a captive audience because all high school students, but they're going to hear this for the next decade. Uh, there's a writer, um, actually, he lives in Northampton, England, uh, mm-hmm. Alan Moore, um, who is one of my favorite writers. And He's mostly known for writing comic books, but he is sort of a much broader writer um, and definitely um, uh, an English madman in a lot of ways, as he would say. Um, But he, yeah, but he um, he talks about commercialism in very similar ways that you do. And he 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 essentially and I'm paraphrasing here says, unless you're doing the thing, whether it's music or art or writing any of the capital A arts, Mm -hmm. unless you're doing it for its own worth and merit it isn't going to be ultimately successful at the creative level. You might be satisfied with it. You might make money. You might be famous, but you will have compromised something because exactly. a, yeah. a filter has gotten in between you and the capital A art that was given to you to make. Uh, and this, this is exactly the same analogy. Um, it's that that passion, that artistic creativity, it's something you can't even you can't even put your finger on it. It's like a, a hidden spirituality that's actually contained in whatever art form you're trying to create. And if it's, you don't feel it here, then the audience or whoever's listening to it's not going to feel it here. See the greater picture. And this is, you've got to sacrifice quite a lot. If you want to be a true artist, be it um, an art, either in literature, music or painting or sculpture, anything, you've got to do it. You've got to swallow the hard fact that if you don't do it for its own sake, then what results is not going to be intrinsically valuable. It's yeah. just that there's something going to be missing and the audience will pick up on that. But as soon as you've, you've accepted that bitter pill, then the universe rewards you. <laughs> it's a really strange thing. Yeah. It's like, 
talking about find your God, it's like trying to get that lost connection to whatever spirituality, doesn't matter what religion you are, it's, it's just finding that connection, that, almost a cosmic connection. As the late great Carl Sagan said, we are literally all made of stardust, and we could be the only means the universe has of um, the universe being conscious of itself. Always trying to find that spiritual connection um, between what I'm creating and the desired result. It's been long enough now, and I don't think it's been a full 10 years, but it might be close. It's been long enough now that when I uh, first found your music, um, um, I, I, if I recall correctly, it was in an effort to look for ancient music that was authentic, that had an mm-hmm. authenticity to it. I didn't want to listen to um, somebody who had uh, kind of remastered or remixed things. And there's a lot of things out there that I sort of discovered and, and that had some resonance for me. But as a part of my own uh, devotion and writing, um, which is invariably often about mythology and the gods, mm-hmm. I needed something that could um, authentically kind of capture the spirit of the things and and the gods that I was writing about. And I was uh, grateful and fortunate when I discovered your music because it was, oh, this is this is exactly what I was hearing in my head that I needed um, that's, to, uh, to sort of accomplish things. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite, um, that was quite early days for me as well, recording. I think it was about 2012 um, that you were last got in touch with me. Yeah, I think it would have been the Ancient Greek Liar would have been the first one I found. It was really a, a kind of a wonderful discovery and said, you got to listen to this. This is this is something special that I, you know, we're 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 lucky to have found it. You know, I, I want to go back to something a little bit here. You you were talking about the early history and when you were 14 and you heard this kind of the first time you heard historical music. Um, so you're 14 years old. You've bought this cassette. Are you already musically trained? Are you a musician? Where does music start in your life? That's, a, that's an interesting thing. I've never, I was, as a young child, I had no interest in it at all. As I, say, I was all, always interested in the sciences, but I'm sadly just couldn't do the maths. Um, but yeah, um, pretty well as I was 11, um, it was only compulsory at the end of the first year of high school. We had yeah. to do a tune. And I'd never played an instrument before. And um, funny enough, I think it was my dad, my dad's not a musician, he taught me how to play by ear, um, I think it was the tune Havana Gila with one finger on the piano. <laughs> okay. Just doing that. And even all the notes were wrong with the intervals, but the, the, the outline of the tune was there. But that got me fascinated. I thought, oh my gosh, this is quite interesting. And then from that, um, the obsession slowly developed. Um, but um, I got as far as, um, as they call them, A-levels here in the UK, I don't know what we call yep. it in the States. But I couldn't get beyond that. The piano was an instrument. I couldn't. I li- reached a plateau. Um, what, what put me off so much the piano um, was you have to follow these notes, and it's got to be just like this. Um, if you don't do this, the world will end. You've got to follow the notes. But that, by doing that, you're taking away your own creativity. You become a note-reproducing um, robot. Yep. And that's not the sort of music I want and I'm interested in. And it's took me a long time to get into trying to find something that I really like doing. Um, in fact, it was my dissatisfaction with the piano that got me first interested in teaching myself from scratch without any instructions to play other instruments. Started off with mandolin, that's tuned the same as violin, so then I taught myself to play violin from scratch in my spur room. Um, 
and then get onto other instruments like banjos and whatever. And, and just some about string instruments, I don't know, it must be the Levi's roots. Sure. I just like string instruments and could never be, I gave up on trying to play the recorder in 1974. Um, yeah, so yeah, string instruments have always been my thing. Um, but the lyre, what really appeals to me is there's so few notes, um, yet so much possibilities. And this is the theme, actually, of my next album in progress, which is um, just um, I'm working on at the moment, um, which I'm going to call New Ancestral Music, um, Rebirth of the Ancient Lyre. And it's recorded on my 10-string lyre, and the 10 strings are almost analogous to the 10 decades, the maximum lifespan we have on this planet. And although you have only 10 strings, 10 decades maximum, think of what you can do with those. And it's the same with the 10 strings. All the releases I've done is with a maximum of 10 strings. And it's incredible. Um, you can create whole vistas of different worlds with 10 strings, and it's the same with the decades of your life. Um, even if there aren't any gods, we have the creative ability to make our own fate to, with, with whatever we've been given us, even if it's just 10 decades. Yeah. Like the 10 strings of my lyre, there's infinite opportunities, infinite possibilities. All it takes is that creative spark to make the most of it while we're still here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that idea, and and I'm looking forward to the new album. I'm curious because you mentioned all the different instruments that you've played, and I know um, you've got uh, albums where you play the lyre, um, you play uh, the tortoise shell lyre, um, you play a fiddle, and for you, you know, with the different instruments and kind of qualities of it. Um, I, I have no musical talent, if that has not been apparent yet. I, I also have no vocabulary to talk about music, but I'm curious about the different uh, ways that you approach an instrument when you're playing it, uh, from violin to fiddle to uh, lyre to ancient lyre. Um, is it is it a complete kind of rewiring of your brain every time you have to pick up an instrument? Not really. The funny thing is, my academic background is not actually not music it's philosophy but philosophy is an amazing tool because you start off with a concept and then you analyze the concept like i treat any string instrument as a concept and say, okay let's um see what are the logical limitations and possibilities of this instrument with the given number of strings that it has and that's how i sort of work things out like the lyre okay how how can you produce a tone on it well there's millions of ways you can produce a tone on it you can um book it you can strum it. Um, you can produce harmonics on it. Um, you can find the harmonic point. You can even hit the notes um, to produce um, sounds like a hammered dulcimer. Um, and that's the thing. Because there's no one telling you you should play it like this, like the piano, why don't you just play the thing, just use the instrument, the limitations and possibilities of the instrument as your guide. Mm-hmm. That's what to do with... Um, with the things and uh yeah there's literally no end to what you can do with the thing um well for for the listeners who can't see this um i'm i'm getting to see uh one of michael's instruments right now his lyre and it is um actually a little bit emotional this is really neat i'm seeing one of the <laughs> things that creates the music that i listen to almost every day um that's i uh, this is a real treat i um i wanted to ask you about uh uh, actually, what you were just saying, um, uh, you know, no one can tell you how to play it. And and that sort of brings me to um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, which was 
um, some of the ancient recreations uh, where you're where you're using old music and playing it on um, uh, historically accurate or comparably accurate uh, instruments. And I'm curious, how do we know what old music sounds like? I assume they don't have the same kind of uh, formalized uh, notation structure. I don't know how you find this music, who discovers it, how it ends up in the hands of a 14-year-old kid. You know, how do you, <laughs> how does, how does the kind of ancient reconstruction that you do work? Um, well, as I say, um, it's in my interest in actual historical fragments is only incidental. My, my main interest is re- taking off where the ancients stopped basically and carrying on a new tradition, new ancestral music, as I call it, into the modern day. But going back to um, how, how I would do that, obviously there are certain fragments of music out there and they're notated in quite a few different ways. Um, so they have a, basically a layman's knowledge that have picked up over the decades of researching how to play these instruments from scratch. For example, going back to ancient Greek music, it's that, that ancient Greek music, that's the most unambiguous um, because there's lots of theoretical treaties survive um, at the theory of ancient Greek music. Um, and regarding the notation, they basically use an alphabetical symbol of notation, just like we use A, B, C, D, E, F, G, more or less, yeah. <laughs> to notate the pitch today. And also... Um, about 60 fragments of actual ancient Greek music has survived, funny enough, either on um, inscribed on marble like the Delphic hymns or the Cicataph Epilogue, um, yeah. the most famous pieces of ancient Greek music. There's all the bits on papyri as well. And basically you have the text of the song and the mu- musical notation is based on alphabetical symbols, but sometimes the wrong way around. So I'm not a classic scholar, this is just from what I've picked up. And um, then you have um, the specific ancient Greek modes um, as well, which is quite well documented. Um, and what, confusingly, are the, what are the Greek modes? Yeah, com- the confusing thing is there's like a double terminology. All the original ancient Greek modes were given the wrong Greek names during the early Middle Ages um, because I think... Um, how, middle, uh, how the early scholars, they thought that the Greeks were notating the music from, um, what's the word, ascending, whereas it's actually descending, so they were given all the wrong names. So just to go through them, basically, uh, using this thing as an example, um, yeah. the modern major scale that we think of, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, that's basically called the ancient Greek Lydian mode. Um, which is the equivalent interval to C to C. Um, the ancient Greek Phrygian mode, uh, this was misnamed the Dorian mode by the Middle Ages, scholars of the Middle Ages, but the ancient Greek original Dorian mode was D to D. One of my favourite modes, this one, as well as having a minor feel to it, it's also poignant. And this is the thing with these beautiful modes. In modern music, you only have... In the 12-note system, we have um, major minor scales. You can only have happy side, happy side, happy side. We've forgotten all the the wonderful shades of emotion in between, and these are captured in the characteristics of the ancient Greek modes. Like the um, the Phrygian mode, for example, this tune I did called um, Ode to Ancient Rome. This was actually in the Mars M&M's advert. It's in this poignant sound, because I want to try and evoke 
what's lost or when you think of all these lost um the wonders of ancient rome So on, um, and you can hear it's got a poignant thing, it's got a kind of a yearning quality to it. You don't get that with a, a normal minor scale. Now, the no next mode up is the equivalent intervals as E to E, and this was Plato's favorite scale. I think he mentions it in the Republic. He says it's the only mode with more true moral worth and can even inspire bravery in battle. And this is the, the ancient Greek Dorian mode. And this was the tune, this is the mode used um, in Him to Zeus, which Rufus Wainwright used in two scenes of his amazing opera Hadrian. So here's a little quote of Him to Zeus. It's a very intense sound. It's very introspective, almost philosophical sounding. You can tell why Plato liked it so much. And then the next mode up, um, equivalent intervals as F to F. That's called the Hyperlydian mode. Um, and that has an almost dreamy, almost feminine quality to it. Um, I'm just trying to think of a tune um, that I might have used for this one. Um, oh, I'm trying to, <laughs> I've got so many recordings, trying to actually remember the actual tune sometimes. Um, but this is actually an ancient Greek fragment, um, which is in this wonderful, um, dreamy sounding um, hypo, hypo, what's it called? Hyperlydian mode. dreamy, almost sexual sounding. And then the next mode is the hyperphrygian mode, basically the equivalent of G to G on the white notes of the piano. And, and this has a warm, contented feel to it. Um, and I use this for a tune of mine called um, Apollo's Lyre. <laughs> So it's very contented, warm feel to it. And in fact, it's the same mode that the Beatles use for Norwegian wood, um, oh. which is why it sounds, why it's such a, a great song, Norwegian wood, because it actually feels like you're in front of a fire, because it's a really warm, contented feel that the mode creates. And the next mode up is the equivalent intervals as A to A on the white notes of the piano. This is the, um, oh, I can remember the correct terminology, the Hyperdorian mode. 
um, sometimes called the natural minor scale. Um, um, I used this in a tune, I think, called, um, oh, what's it called? Oto Aphrodite. I think that was actually on that thing called, on a release called The Ancient Greek Liar that you, that you bought about 10 years ago from now. Um, Again, that's the basis of our, our modern minor scales. Next mode up from that is the equivalent intervals is B to B, but I've only ever used one tune for that. That's that's a weird scale. Um, there's basically those seven modes. That's in ancient Greek music, but then you have the whole things of um, like Jewish music, which has these wonderful klezmer scales in, um, which are very exotic sounding, which are used in releases like King David's Lyre, Echoes mm-hmm. of Ancient Israel, and Lyre of the Levites. Uh, things like that. Well, that's uh, uh, thank you. That's that's just and it's fascinating to watch you play too. As a, and and I want to make sure I'm seeing things properly here. Um, so you you have your instrument and there's there's essentially a front and a back. So your right hand, am I right hand? Yes, your right hand is on the front. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, use either finger plucked or plectrum. In this occasion, I'm using finger plucked. Um, um, but the beauty of the lyre is you can create two completely different sounds um, at yeah. the same time, which you don't get with any other instrument. It's like almost a guitar-like sound. Is it, um, because two, is it two-sided? It, yeah, it is. Um, it's like the, this particular lyre, this is um, actually made in the States. It's a, a modern evocation of the biblical Kinnor, the ten-string lyre of the Levites, okay. um, made by made by marine-made harps. Um this is one of my favourite instruments. Although it's not historically accurate, so to speak, it's I think it's actually an improvement on ancient instruments. Well, it captures a, a lovely, wonderful harp-like timbre. That you can do everything that you can on a lyre, which is basically a fusion of playing mandolin, guitar, and harp all in one instrument. You can do tremolos. You can actually strum chords on the thing by African technique um, called string blocking, where you block specific strings in your left hand and strum with a plectrum or your fingers in your right hand. So you can play the thing like a guitar. Um, so your fingers become then, the, the your fingers have become the frets at that point. You're sort of yeah, mimicking the fret. Yeah. It's, it's the most versatile instrument I've ever tried to think. And even like 13 years down the line, I'm still finding new ways of playing the thing. It, it absolutely fascinates me um, what you can do with it. Um, you can actually hit the strings as well. I don't have anything to hit them with at the moment. Just find something. Usually I use a little wooden button. Um, so you can actually hit the strings and create a sound like a hammered dulcimer as well. The, the, the only limit is your imagination and creativity. That's the thing I love about the thing. So few strings analogous to so few decades in our lives. That's what can we do with the decades? We can do anything we choose and create wonderful things. Yeah. Um, and it's all, even Plato himself, um, in the, I think it was in the Republic, the Plato of Socrates, somebody or other, describes... Um, 
a well-ordered society like a well-tuned lyre. Each string has a different timbre, but together they form a wonderful harmony and act as one. Yeah, so there's so there's an aspirational quality to it as well of of bringing all these things together, which of course in the Republic would make sense. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to watch you play it too because I'm I you know you mentioned harp and of course kind of that I'm. For the listeners at home, I'm holding my hands up in a very evocative way. I, and I don't know much about music or harp music, but I am a fan of the uh, the Marx Brothers. And so I've seen a lot of Harpo uh, playing the harp, which he did quite well, but he was mm-hmm. self-taught. Um, and it yeah. occurred to me while you were playing um, and talking about striking the notes, um, and I'm going back to something you said about the piano, where it it was too uh, formalistic or um you know, kind of uh, there was kind of a form imposed that you had to follow. And this is a much more freer or fluid kind of motion. And what's interesting in my head, at least, and this may be wrong historically uh, or technically, you know, the, the the piano is a stringed instrument, but there's an interface in between the artist and the strings, meaning that that keyboard and mm-hmm. and with you and the harp or the lyre um, there is no interface. You have direct connection to the source of the music. I'm wondering if that, uh, personally, if you if you feel, uh, you know, as you're playing, as you're composing, if you are f- thinking about things formally, or is it improvisational and uh, organic, like jazz or the blues, where you sort of discover things? Um, for me, again, as I said. Th- I'm self-taught and every instrument I love playing as a reaction against this formal education system that I suffered when I was doing like A-level music. Um, when I actually compose music, I throw all the instruction manual. What I do now, um, what I find works best, is just literally to record, just to literally pluck tunes out of the air. Just let the creative experience happen. Um, record what I'm doing listen back to it and if there's some really interesting melodic ideas there then learn it from the improvisation so basically i'm literally learning from the gods <laughs> what who inspired me and um, so it's just literally plucking the tunes out the air, tunes which never existed before but not just not a complete freeform improvisation it's then basing using those free improvisations listening back to it using some evaluation and then relearning basically the improvisation and adding bits that I might want to add. But sure. the, 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 the actual germination is completely organic. And that's what I like best. And all the best tunes I've ever come up with have been like that. Just, I mean, I could do it right now. I could do it literally right now without even thinking about it. Um, okay, I'm just, this has never happened before. I'm just going to pluck it into all and see what the hell happens. Oh, this is really nice. This is a fifth, um, which was Plato's favourite interval. And then we're just going to just do that, and then we're going to see what happens. That's quite a nice phrase. Let's do it again. So simple as that. Um, just basically, you know, just forget about the rule book. And hey, Presto, there's a tune that never existed before. And I was recording that, so I'd listen back to that and think, that's quite nice, like that phrase. Or I could add a B section. 
the beauty is the simplicity. Um, and another analogy, um, for example, some people really like listening to Paganini. Oh, no, thanks. I'd rather listen to my own migraine. I'd much rather <laughs> go to an Irish bar somewhere over in Ireland, listen to some guy who's completely sloshed on Guinness, play some wonderful folk music he's played on the fiddle for the last 60 odd years because he plays it from the soul. And going way back to the analogy you keep coming up with, like the BB King gig, it's not the number of notes you play, it's how you play them and the connection you have to the music. And I, I detest listening to music played by people who have no connection to it, like going back to the folk clubs you have. Even if all the notes are right, they're, they're not going to play it with soul because they haven't lived a life. There's no connection to the music they're doing, so that's always going to miss that elusive connection to the gods that we keep talking about. So for, for you, when you're playing, um, and this may be too personal, if I, I can back off of this if, if, uh, if you'd prefer not to delve, um, what is your connection? Where do you feel it? What does it do for you when you're playing? I said... It's an interesting thing that because initial the initial connection was like sort of roots music thing. Oh my gosh, it was the Levites who actually used to play the lyres. What a family tradition to carry on into the 21st century. But of course, um, I'm not going to play. But I'm not going to limit myself just by playing songs from the the Levite Jewish tradition. Oh yeah, yes, I started off doing that with things like King David's lyre, echoes of ancient Israel, and whatever have you. But um, in doing that, in that creative process of just adapting, actually how I did though, I first of all adapted just tunes I knew from the Jewish klezmer repertoire, that's the traditional instrumental repertoire, and arranging it for the ten strings of the modern evocation of the kinor. And, and that fascinated me. It's the actual creative process of doing that, which then I became connected to the instruments. Before I didn't have the connection with the instruments, but that was how I taught myself to play the instruments by basically adapting tunes I used to know. I used to play a bit of plasma fiddle. That's, um, again, that's self-taught as well. I love the I love music with a connection. And this was like, I'd say, klezmer is the traditional Jewish music of the old Sheffield in Eastern Europe. Oh, so yeah. I basically transferred that skill that I had um, to the biblical kinor. And funny enough, the, the, the symmetry is amazing because um, in Modern Hebrew, kinor, means violin. And here I am connecting it back to the original kinor, the original Hebrew word, which meant the lyre of the Levites. Wow. So that's, um, again, <laughs> this fascinating connection going down yeah. the millennium. Which, um, and, and that's how I taught myself to play the lyre, actually by creating King David's lyre, Echoes of Ancient Israel. So transferring, now that I had this intimate connection with the instrument, realizing how you create tunes or how you arrange things on it and then then it was then it was only then that i found the ability from literally out of nowhere to create these tunes um and i've I've always tried to create music tried it on the piano when i was 17 i just i came up with one tune this i just can't stop it's like the more tunes i come up with like there i, I created a tune that didn't exist before they asked me to try and play it again because I didn't record it, but um, if I listened to it, I could maybe develop it and change it and start a new album from it. But yeah, it's just that connection with the instruments. I've never had that connection before. Um, it's a very intimate connection physically as well, because the instrument's right next to you. You've got a direct connection to the strings. 
it's not like a harp and you've got billions and millions of nicely colour-coded strings to find the things. You've got a very limited number of strings, but infinite possibilities, and that's what fascinates me. I, um, well, first of all, I'm delighted that you created something new here during this conversation. I, I feel very privileged. That's very special. I wanted to ask you about the quality of the music. There is a thoughtfulness to the music and there's a there's a halting thoughtful quality to so many of the compositions where you um you have these notes being played and and it is almost like steps and then that quick uh trill or run and then they sort of re reconvene again into the steps and and they have a progression to them but but it it um for me personally, and 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 uh, I'm imposing on you uh, my own reactions to things. I realize, for me personally, it um, evokes the same kind of halting steps that we take towards our own understanding of anything, whether it's understanding of God or a God or the gods, or just our own. Um, tentative steps towards anything new and then that enthusiasm where things start to start to respond to to our inquiry and we get that that rush of of extra notes or extra energy that comes out of it and it's something that i love about your music because again it's unique i i i've only heard it from you or um in some cases uh uh, uh you know musicians who are doing similar things but but similar is not the same. Um, as I said, I think there's a unique quality there that I really, really value. And I'm, I'm curious because there is actually a question here. I'm curious um, if that uh, uh, kind of uh, progression and the, the space in between those notes, if that's something that's part of a notation or a meter from the different modes or if that's something that you've just brought to it yourself. Okay. Um, sorry, what was the? I lost the. Tra- I lost my train of thought. Then. No, that's all um, right. I'm just curious if if that sort of halting quality is a component of the the mode itself, or you know if those things are documented and passed down, or if there's interpretation on your part where you're bringing your own kind of uh, rhythm or meter to the music. Um. I think most of the time, I again, I don't write from any dots. I hate dots or set rhythms. Why should we have set rhythms? Um, the, the tunes I do, um, I don't think of rhythm. I just do it completely organic. If there's going to be a pause, enjoy the pause, um, then go on to the next bit. Um, again, there might be a pause, or I might get very excited about what I'm doing. There's going to be a shorter pause. Yeah. Um, why should we have music that's regimented? You've got to fit it into a time signature. And the ancient Greeks were the same. Um, they didn't have time signatures. They just had their music perfectly fitted into the meter of the actual songs it originally accompanied. And that's the best way you can write a song. Um, although my music doesn't really have words, um, it's the same principle. I don't think of set rhythms. I think of this is really nice. I like this interval, let's leave a pause here, and so on. But again, I don't plan it like that. It's just, as, it, as I'm thinking of a tune, it'll just happen automatically, usually. Um, all depends on how connected you are to the tunes. Yeah. 
You know, you, you mentioned words, um, and I know, you know, that there are, uh, as you said, fragments of ancient uh, uh, Greek or, or Roman uh, music where we, we do have some words. I'm also just curious because I believe it's on one of your latter albums, if not your most recent one, where there are vocalizations that have been added, which I think is a new thing for you. Uh, yeah, that's, that was just that was the purpose of that. Um, yeah, I think the one you're referring to, one experiment to doing that with most was um, something called the um, the um, ancient Greek Kithara of classical yep. antiquity. Uh, yeah, this was a wonderful, and this is um, I've been collaborating with um, a company in Greece called Lutherios um, for about four four years now. And again, this is the universe rewarding me, and they really randomly contacted me by, by email about four years ago. Um, and basically, I had the, the honour of them sending me over these beautifully reconstructions of these very authentically recreated ancient Greek instruments, kithara, tortoiseshell, lyres, wow. and things like that, um, for free, just, just so I promote them on my YouTube channel. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so yeah, in, in this particular album, I was trying to demonstrate um, how it's possible to you just like how how the kithara was literally the guitar of ancient Greece because if you look at ancient Greek vases this is the instrument that's depicted most and it was like the instrument of the professional musicians of ancient Greece just like the guitar is the instrument of um, the popular rock singer of modern times um, and yeah I was just demonstrating very simply because I'm not a trained I've got a, have no confidence in my singing ability whatsoever i'm just doing very simple vocal lines but showing how you can accompany the vocal line and also use the, inst- the same instrument there's only nine strings on this particular instrument that i had um i can do chords solos and accompany the voice just with nine strings and, and back in ancient greece the standard number was seven strings so you managed to ah. do it with just seven strings it's incredible was there um and you may not know the answer to this i know i sure don't was there any uh inherent symbolism or meaning behind seven strings in ancient Greece? Yeah, Did it there is, correspond to thing. gods or, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's all, and that and the same with the, the, the Hebrew music as well. It's going back to ancient Greece. The god Apollo was apparently born on the seventh day of the seventh month. Yeah. Um, of course, Apollo was became the god of music thanks to his brother Hermes, um, flogging him a tortoiseshell liar to compensate for stealing all his cattle, um, and so and hence, um, yeah. So that's that's what that symbolises the um, the god Apollo being born on the seventh day of the seventh month. The Hebrew liar is fascinating. It's like one of the very early examples of um, Kabbalah. Kabbalah, the spiritual connection between words and literature. Uh, and we know we know that the biblical kinnor. And the lyre played by the Levites um, had ten strings, by the both, both both in the biblical text and also through um, Flavius Josephus, a first-century Jewish historian, who actually witnessed the Levites play these lyres in the Temple of Jerusalem. But had ten strings, and another type of lyre, which was presumably a bass lyre, um, had twelve strings. Well, this is fascinating. Ten strings. Think of the Ten Commandments. Twelve strings. Think of the twelve tribes of Israel. Ten, and the, the total number of tones, that's 10 strings plus 12 is 22, which is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. I mean, there's got to be some underlying spirituality there, because again, in Hebrew, um, each 
Um, uh, alphabetical symbol also has a numeric value as well. And it's, and since going back to Kabbalah, um, since if you go back to spiritual ancient Judaism, since um, they literally believed that um, the universe came about by the word of God and they thought the word of God was spoken in Hebrew, then the letters of the alphabet are literally the building blocks of the universe, if you yes. want to really take it back. And that's symbolized in the the, the number of lyre strings. How amazing is that? I love those kind of alignments of a little bit of mysticism, a little bit of musical theory, a little bit of history. There's even a little bit of science in there. You know, I love how those things all come together. Um, I mean, talking about science, super strings, super strings that make up the weird quantum physics that make up the weird nature of reality. The whole of the universe is a vibration. The whole of the, music, the, whole of the universe, be there a god or no gods, is a vibration of energy. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I I was thinking of string theory when you when we first started the conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I'm and I, I am many. I am not many things. I am not a scholar. I'm not a historian. I'm also not a, a physicist. But I've read enough to think I can talk about it. The idea that everything has a frequency, an inherent frequency to it, um, uh, on some level or other, uh, that can be measured, uh, alive or dead, um, is always fascinating. You know, these these inert forms, or what we would consider to be inert forms, like uh, a piece of quartz, um, actually has. A vibration has a frequency to it, and and yeah. uh, the the connection of these things is always fascinating to me. Um, I mean, even going back to um, ancient Greek um, cosmology, the music of the spheres. Um, they literally thought that um, the, the actual heavens, or as they perceived them, the the spheres, the planets, had a, a, a music of their own, and the resonance of them created an un, inaudible music um, that was echoed in the actual physical music that we played and uh, that things like that it, it really fascinates me and um, it's that really spiritual deep connection which has been lost in modern commercial music and i want to try and dig back to to get this this thing that's been lost and, and again again going back to um the ancient greek philosophers and um, i can't pronounce his name pyro one of the skeptics the skeptics um, the only one, this is, goes back to my new album in progress, which is about ex existential anxiety. We might be here, there might not be a code, there might not be gods. We might all be here in advance to a, a random quantum fluctuation, but my goodness, sure. live the moment. It's amazing. And like Pyro said, the only way to achieve, um, a is it called attraxia? Attraxia, I can't pronounce it. The Greek word, which means inner peace, is to realize um the only thing we can know for certain is uncertainty. And once you can live with that, no, once you can live with that fact, then you can sit back and appreciate the mystery. Yes, explore the wonders of the universe. Yes, do maths. Yes, do physics. Yes, do astronomy, astronomy cosmology, physics, whatever. But always realize you're never going to achieve complete satisfaction unless you know it's great to do this because we can, because we're here. But you must sit back and appreciate the mystery of it all, because even modern physicists don't actually understand quantum physics. Why should things pop out into existence from nothing? It's like the tunes I'm playing, they pop out. I want to do an analogy with quantum physics. Let's pluck a tune that never existed before because there's the possibility of creating it. Why not? Let, let, let music be an, an, an analogy to our, our very existence. Well, and, and even if 
listen to God or God's. Sure. And, and, and it's really a sort of a choice that people make, right? We, we choose to believe mm-hmm. or not to believe. We, we choose to uh, find these things or not find them, um, or we choose to create them. Um, and, and it really, uh, it's framed by our experiences, you know, uh, what we, what we choose and how we choose to interpret it. I, when I write, um, I don't write, um, very formally and I don't write with a intent in mind. I have a loose collection of, um, maybe an event or a character or whatever, but I, just follow what that character is doing. I don't outline things at a time. I don't try to plan it. Whenever I've tried to plan something uh, in one of my books, the character is often working against me. Um, And I've sort of learned over time to let the story just tell itself and be the one who is putting it out there. Yeah, the exact analogy I have with my own music creations, the moment you start trying to be regimented and write the notes down. You must do this, and you must can't have parallel fifths and all this harmonic nonsense that was taught at school. That is going to stifle your creativity. You must go with the flow and let the tunes create themselves. And that's that's a miracle. Um, that's a modern day miracle that you can still do. Music yeah. is the only magic we have because you just literally conjure tunes out of the air. It's fascinating. Um, one of the most amazing opportunities to recreate this in real time was last year um out of the blue i had an email from the the faculty of classics at the university of oxford of all places um, as part of the um celebration the festival of um, latin and greek the european festival of latin and greek they were going to do translations of ovid's metamorphosis or something i mean i'm not a classic scholar i know very little about it so with no rehearsal no nothing it invited me to come over there and literally put tunes out in the air as all these boffins, world-known experts. It was terrifying. We're going to re- do these um, in-depth translations of Ovid. So there was no sound check, no rehearsal. Let's just play the music. And that's what I <laughs> somehow did. Um, that was that was a, a real learning curve for me. If I had any anxiety about performance, that's gone now. Yeah, um, yeah just literally forget about the rules. Just play the instrument and go with the flow. Um, I never even heard of it. It was a really interesting experience. Uh, it's fascinating because uh, Ovid's Metamorphoses is I have it right here. Um, it's a it's a oh, it's a text I yeah I, I refer to quite a bit. And I was in yeah. um, in my former or not former life, uh, but in a previous kind of uh, part of my life, I was an actor in a theater company, and we did. Mm-hmm. Um, a staged production of Ovid's Metamorphoses, but we did not have a script. We didn't have a text. We took each one of us, I think there were about seven of us in the cast. We each picked a story out of it. um, And then through collaboration and improvisation, we built uh, uh, scenes based on each one of the stories and then found ways to connect those. So it, it was literally plucking them out of the air, just like the same process you're talking about. And so it's fascinating to hear, you know, uh, uh, Ovid's work, um, you know, which which he's a, a Roman writer who is sort of collecting yeah. all of these old stories. He's also adding his own stories, which is really interesting. Some of the stories in Ovid, they can't necessarily trace to previous sources. Um, and there are some people, myself, right. myself included, who think he was adding to the canon 
um, with with some of these yeah. real fundamental yeah. texts that we take for granted now, or at least people like I do. And um, I don't know, it's fascinating. I wanted to go back to something, but you mentioned the music of the spheres. And and I'm a, like you, not a, a maths person, not a science person, but I have a love of uh, astronomy and uh, space exploration. Um, obviously, with uh, the American Institute, uh, NASA, um, you know, there are a lot of sort of echoes of mythology and how they name their missions and how we've named the planets over the over the uh, mm-hmm. years. Um, and, and I'm curious if you've ever heard any of the recordings that have been made by NASA when um, like the Voyager probes or um, a few of the others have gone past some of the, the planets in the solar system. Mm-hmm. They, they have picked up the ambient sound that comes from them. And there are recordings of this that you can listen to on Spotify, for instance. I haven't. I must look at that. That's yeah, no, music of the space. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my uh, mild obsessions. I have a few that are yeah. you know, kind of soundscape obsessions, and that's one of them. Um, uh, and, and it kind of ties into something else music-related um, uh, with the Voyager probes, uh, Voyager 1 and Voyager mm-hmm. 2, which are uh, uh, very near and dear to my heart, um, uh, in no small part because uh, uh, these probes were sent out with a golden record. And, and this is part of the Carl Sagan uh, influence in the world that uh, we're all, uh, or at least I am very, very grateful for. Um, but this this golden record was essentially a greeting to have whoever might end up finding these uh, 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 probes still going. They're, mm-hmm. They've left our solar system at this point. Um um, and and so gone into the broad. That's the heliosphere, universe. yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. We've literally become an interstellar species. It's amazing. Time yeah, to be alive. And we put on these records the best of ourselves as as human beings that we could at the time. Um, so it's mm-hmm. music. Um, uh, I I I I want to say it's BB King, but um, it may be Muddy Waters. Chuck Berry um, was on there. Chuck Berry was definitely on there. I remember. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Chuck Berry's on there. Um, Glenn Gould playing uh, from the Goldberg Variations is on there. Um, we have the children of the world saying hello. We have the recording of a woman's mm-hmm. heartbeat as she's nursing her newborn child. We have, um, you know, the the sound of someone's brain waves as they're falling in love. Um, and, and all of this sound from us is being given out to the universe as a sort of a, a signature of this is who we are and this is what we're about. Mm-hmm. And, and music is a component of that. And, and I've always loved it, uh, this idea of that and just the fact that it exists in the world, that these two things are going in opposite directions, um, carrying this in a way sort of collaborating with that larger uh, music of the spheres. Um, I don't have a question. It was just you said it, so I thought I'd talk too much. However, <laughs> yeah. it does it does it does kind of connect to um, one of your more recent albums, where you take your music and you do kind of provide sort of a cosmic framework for it. It's no longer um, terrestrial, but you've you've translated it or or shaped it in a way so that it has kind of a, a broader, uh, again, cosmic resonance. And I'm, I'm yeah. curious where that came from, why you, why you had that idea. 
Uh, yeah, this I, I think the recording you're talking about is something my, my most experimental thing to date called Ascension of the Liar. Um, the, the title of that is actually a pun on Orpheus ascend, ascending from the underworld, but also the ascension of the liar, literally from an ancient instrument to an instrument we could use in our distant future. Like yourself, I'm a I'm absolutely fascinated by um, our progress into the stars, and um, especially with things going on with um, SpaceX at the moment, and Elon Musk wanting to literally start a colony on Mars, hopefully within my lifetime even. Um, and this inspired me um, to, okay, my goodness, my music could be one of the soundtracks to um, the new national anthem on Mars or something, who knows? <laughs> and this inspired me to do literally um, my own sort of image of... Um, little snapshots of the solar system my, my musical version of the voyager expedition so yep. basically in this one I'm, do, I'm trying to capture um through the music it's actually inspired by spock's vulcan harp because spock's vulcan harp is literally a liar it has a bridge like a liar so yeah use all these weird effects and some of the facts try and evoke different um scenes from um the solar system, like methane-like lakes of Titan, that's the moon of Saturn, mm-hmm. that they found seas of methane and things like this. And, um, yeah, that's my most experimental thing, literally trying to ascend the lyre from a forgotten instrument into a vibrant instrument that can be used for maybe one more more sometime. You might be playing the lyres, why not? The lyre was um, the first instrument. We've used the first guitar of ancient times. It could be the guitar of, of future times like Spock's Vulcan harp that's that's the idea I had this, um, in that very ultra experimental little release I did that's that's fascinating and I had not thought about Spock um, but I know exactly what you're talking about now and I'm I'm again something else I'm going to have to go and google later I wonder who had the idea for that? I don't know that Leonard Nimoy was a musician. I know he was a photographer, but he did mm-hmm. he did record some albums. He did sing, um, and I'm wondering if he had any musical uh, background and if and if he brought that uh, to the character or if it came about of that. Also, he was Jewish, and so he has some heritage and connection potentially to some of the same things that you've described. And and was there you know, again, sort of this um, uh, generational resonance um, where now we have Spock and you and others, you know, expanding out <laughs> into the stars, which which is a kind of exodus. Um, it, it occurs to it me. It is. Uh, uh, the, the analogies are fascinating. Yeah, yeah. literally. Um, that, a story from like the times of the original Levites. Mo- Moses was a Levite <laughs> yeah, to, to 21st century and into the not so distant future now when we're actually going to be living on Mars or the thing, the thing is, like in ancient times, there was no distinction between um, boxing um, different disciplines. It was all one discipline. It was all philosophy. And it should be in modern times, music is philosophy. Science is philosophy because they're all doing the same thing. It's taking human consciousness and expanding it into the universe and into which we're magically, for a, brief, for a brief time, a part of. And that's, yeah. that's a miracle. And it doesn't matter if there's a god. It doesn't matter if there's gods or no gods. We're here. My goodness, that's amazing. That's a miracle. Lift the moment. It's it's absolutely amazing. And do what I do through music. Create things that didn't exist before. Inspire other people by what you do. 
from your, from your spare room. That's what I do. I mean, I do three part-time jobs and I play the lyre. <laughs> it wasn't for the internet. No one had no one existed. It's it's really it's embrace the modern times, but also embrace where you came from, yeah. ancient times and your own lineage. And yeah, that's what I aim to try and do. And it's great to have feedback from yourself. Um, um, from the other side of the Atlantic, that um, things I'm doing in my spur room are making a difference in the fabric of the space-time continuum. <laughs> they, they are, I, and I, I don't want to um, understate it. Um, when I said it's the, it's part of the soundtrack of my life. I'm not kidding. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm so grateful to you uh, for the music uh, that you make and have made. Um, I, I. Uh, I genuinely appreciate it for the musical value of it, but also for the emotional connection that it gives me um, to the music itself. And and I've I'm I'm delighted uh, to 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 have been able to talk with you today. For the listeners, how do people learn more about you and your music? Where can they find you on social media and on the web? Um, well, my just my website is. Um, www.ancientliar.com but just google search michael levy l-e-v-y um liar l-y-r-e and i'll pop about that a billion times yeah. <laughs> um but my music's on all the usual digital music platforms um itunes apple music every single amazon echo thing um, um you can find my stuff on amazon um streaming from there um Basically, any digital music site you're going to find me, and anything to do with um, my sort of all the blogs and the historical research that I've pieced together, um, and my philosophical insights that I've developed will all be on my website. Um, there's a historical research section, got blog section. So I've been running my website for a decade now, so like my music, it's something I've just put together organically and um, edited from, and uh, it's just an ongoing project of mine. Um, which incidentally sort of points people in the right direction where they can um, purchase my music or indeed license my music like the um, Mars Eminence advert did because, yeah, <laughs> I do three part-time jobs. So anyone who wants to use my music, it is available to license um, for any project at all. Um, thankfully, and there's a little um, page on my website which says how you can license any track from any of my albums. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in doing that, no matter what the project, please do so. And uh, that'll get the more. Um, also, I've got my Patreon page um, link as well um, on my website. Um, if someone wants to support my musical mission, please do. Just a dollar a month um, would be invaluable um, in my mission to um, uh, recapture the ancient magic of um, Apollo himself, maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is your website address? Um, www ancientliar.com and that liar spelled l-y-r-e this is wonderful thank you so much i um uh, really appreciate it and because i um, think this is really good it get, helps sort of um focus i have such rare opportunities to talk in depth to somebody who appreciates what i do because um, so, um we're not recording now are we <laughs> my wife's not a musician so she just really get what i do it's like someone who comes from a different artistic background can appreciate it from a different angle yeah and it really helps focus and clarify my, clarify my thoughts by having conversations like this and um feedback is invaluable um you know that's something i'm doing here for my spare room is having a profound effect on authors 
living in America. It's cool. Uh, I mean, yeah. I love this. This is the, the random quantum nature of existence, which I find so fascinating. Well, it's it's uh, yeah, and and I could just keep saying it all all over and over and over again. But yeah, it the effect is there, and 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 um, I'm grateful for it. I can't wait to see what comes next, um, and I'm really looking forward to con- continuing this conversation, um, uh, not just for the show, but um, I uh, I'm um, I'm glad that there's so much common ground in just how we understand uh, the world and the universe and the ways that we interact with each other and with our art. Um, it's it's um, uh, it's gratifying for me to sort of say, oh, OK, I'm not alone. Um, and that's that's really I like that. I love that. special. And the, the analogy you, come, you, you, know, you mentioned, especially your, your own creative process, I find it fascinating. Yeah, Why do we have this distinction, the arts and things? Surely we should just have one thing called human consciousness, and we are just little facets of that, and we yeah. should preserve it. And you know, for whatever it might not be here forever, and so that's why it's even more precious. And uh, yeah, let's carry on doing what we do best. Yes, and indeed. Don't do it for money. Well, anything financial, let let it just be something incidental, because it's because then we'd know better than the animals. We've got to <laughs> elevate ourselves, like. The analogy of again the ascension of the liar, the ascension of Orpheus from the underworld. We must ascend on our upward journey into spirituality, almost Wonderful. to the gods. Almost. Thank you, Tia. Thank a you, Michael. This has been a delight for me. I well, I've already said it, but thank you so much. I I uh, I've just loved it. It's it's been a delight. Thanks, Tia. Keep us updated. Thanks again. The pleasure's mine. our show. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to learn more about Michael and his music, you can go to his website at ancientliar.com. That's ancient L-Y-R-E.com. He's also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. He's got quite a quite a presence. If you Google Michael Levy, L-E-V-Y, or Ancient Liar, he'll pop up in a number of places, and I highly recommend it. His music is available for digital download on Amazon Prime, which I find is the best place to buy his music. And then once you buy it, listen to him on Spotify so that he can get double credit. At any rate, thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with our next episode. And until then, take care of each other. And may your gods bless you. Thank you.
Find Your Gods is written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp. That's me. You can direct all complaints, criticisms, or general outrage online at findyourgods.com. If you prefer, you can bitch me out on social media through the usual channels like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Pinterest. Just look for at findyourgods. The music in today's show was written, composed, and performed by Michael Levy. You can learn more about his music at ancientlyre.com. That's ancient, L-Y-R-E, dot com. Apart from the music, everything else in today's show is the property and copyright of T.M. Camp and may not be used without his, my, express written permission. I probably won't say yes, but you really ought to ask anyway. It's just good manners. <laughs>